Section 38 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 1 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 17 Famine, Commercial Trouble, and Foreign Intrigue, Part 1. Lord John Russell succeeded Sir Robert Peel as First Lord of the Treasury. Lord Palmerston became Foreign Secretary sir charles wood was chancellor of the exchequer lord grey took charge of the colonies and sir george grey was home secretary mr macaulay accepted the office of paymaster-general with a seat in the cabinet a distinction not usually given to the occupant of that office the ministry was not particularly strong in administrative talent the premier and the foreign secretary were the only members of the cabinet who could be called statesmen of the first class, and even Lord Palmerston had not as yet won more than a somewhat doubtful kind of fame, and was looked upon as a man quite as likely to do mischief as good to any ministry of which he might happen to form a part. Lord Grey, then and since, only succeeded somehow in missing the career of a leading statesman. He had great talents and some originality. He was independent and bold but his independence degenerated too often into impracticality and even eccentricity, and he was, in fact, a politician with whom ordinary men could not work. Sir Charles Wood, the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, had solid sense and excellent administrative capacity, but he was about as bad a public speaker as ever addressed the House of Commons. His budget speeches were often made so unintelligible by defective manner and delivery that they might almost as well have been spoken in a foreign language. Sir George Grey was a speaker of fearful fluency and a respectable administrator of the second or third class. He was as plodding in administration as he was precipitate of speech. Peel, wrote Lord Palmerston to a friend a short time after the formation of the new ministry, seems to have made up his mind that for a year or two he cannot hope to form a party and that he must give people a certain time to forget the events of last year in the meanwhile it is evident that he does not wish that any other government should be formed out of the people on his side of the house because of that government he would not be a member for these reasons and also because he sincerely thinks it best that we should for the present remain in he gives us very cordial support, as far as he can without losing his independent position. Graham, who sits up under his old pillar and never comes down to Peel's bench, even for personal communication, seems to keep himself aloof from everybody, and to hold himself free to act according to circumstances. But as yet he is not considered as the head of any party. George Bentinck has entirely broken down as a candidate for ministerial position, and thus we are left masters of the field, not only on account of our own merits, which, though we say it ourselves, are great, but by virtue of the absence of any efficient competitors. Palmerston's humorous estimate of the state of affairs was accurate. The new ministry was safe enough because there was no party in a condition to compete with it. The position of the government of Lord John Russell was not one to be envied. The Irish famine occupied all attention, and soon seemed to be an evil too great for any ministry to deal with. 
the failure of the potato was an overwhelming disaster for a people almost wholly agricultural and a peasantry long accustomed to live upon that root alone ireland contains very few large towns when the names of four or five are mentioned the list is done with and we have to come down to mere villages the country has hardly any manufactures except that of linen in the northern province in the south and west the people live by agriculture alone the cottier system which prevailed almost universally in three of the four provinces was an arrangement by which a man obtained in return for his labour a right to cultivate a little patch of ground just enough to supply him with food for the scanty maintenance of his family the great landlords were for the most part absentees the smaller landlords were often deeply in debt and were therefore compelled to screw every possible penny of rent out of their tenants at will they had not however even that regularity and order in their exactions that might at least have forced upon the tenants some habits of forethought and exactness there was a sort of understanding that the rent was always to be somewhat in arrear the supposed kindness of a landlord consisted in his allowing the indebtedness to increase more liberally than others of his class would do there was a demoralizing slatterliness in the whole system it was almost certain that if a tenant by greatly increased industry and good fortune made the land which he held more valuable than before his rent would at once be increased on the other hand it was held an act of tyranny to dispossess him so long as he made even any fair promise of paying up there was therefore a thoroughly vicious system established all round demoralizing alike to the landlord and the tenant underlying all the relations of landlord and tenant in ireland were two great facts the occupation of land was virtually a necessity of life to the irish tenant that is the first fact the second is that the land system under which ireland was placed was one entirely foreign to the traditions the ideas one might say the very genius of the irish people whether the system introduced by conquest and confiscation was better than the old one or not does not in the slightest degree affect the working of this fact on the relations between the landlord and the tenant in ireland no one will be able to understand the whole meaning and bearing of the long land struggle in ireland who does not clearly get into his mind the fact that rightly or wrongly the irish peasant regarded the right to have a bit of land his share exactly as other peoples regard the right to live it was in his mind something elementary and self-evident he could not be loyal to he could not even understand any system which did not secure that to him according to michelet the land is the french peasant's mistress it was the irish peasant's life the irish peasant with his wife and his family lived on the potato hardly in any country coming within the pale of civilization was there to be found a whole peasant population dependent for their living on one single root when the potato failed in eighteen forty five the life system of the people seemed to have given way at first it was not thought that the failure must necessarily be anything more than partial but it soon began to appear that for at least two seasons the whole food of the peasant population and of the poor in towns was absolutely gone 
lord john russell's government pottered with the difficulty rather than encountered it in their excuse it has to be said of course that the calamity they had to meet was unprecedented and that it must have tried the resources of the most energetic and far-seeing statesmanship still the fact remains that the measures of the government were at first utterly inadequate to the occasion and that afterwards some of them were even calculated to make bad worse not a county in ireland wholly escaped the potato disease and many of the southern and western counties were soon in actual famine a peculiar form of fever famine fever it was called began to show itself everywhere a terrible dysentery set in as well in some districts the people died in hundreds daily from fever dysentery or sheer starvation the districts of skibbereen skull westport and other places obtained a ghastly supremacy in misery in some of these districts the parochial authorities at last declined to put the ratepayers to the expense of coffins for the too frequent dead the coroners declared it impossible to keep on holding inquests there was no time for all the ceremonies of that kind that would have to be gone through if they made any pretense of keeping up the system of ordinary seasons in other places where the formula was still kept up the juries added to their verdicts of death by starvation some charge of wilful murder against lord john russell or the lord lieutenant or some other official whose supposed neglect was set down as the cause of the death unfortunately the government had to show an immense activity in the introduction of coercion bills and other repressive measures it would have been impossible that in such a country as ireland a famine of that gigantic kind should set in without bringing crimes of violence along with it the peasantry had always hated the land tenure system they had always been told not surely without justice that it was at the bottom of all their miseries they were now under the firm conviction that the government could have saved them if it would what wonder then if there were bread riots and agrarian disturbances who can now wonder that being so that the government introduced exceptional measures of repression but it certainly had a grim and disheartening effect on the spirits of the irish people when it seemed as if the government could only potter and palter with famine but could be earnest and energetic when devising coercion bills whatever might be said of the government no one could doubt the goodwill of the english people in every great english community from the metropolis downwards subscription lists were opened and the most liberal contributions poured in in liverpool for example a great number of the merchants of the place put down a thousand pounds each the quakers of england sent over a delegation of their number to the specially famine-stricken districts of ireland to administer relief many other sects and bodies followed the example national relief associations were specially formed in england relief indeed began to be poured in from all countries the united states employed some of their war vessels to send gifts of grain and other food to the starving places in one irish seaport the joy bells of the town were kept ringing all day in honour of the arrival of one of these grain-laden vessels a mournfully significant form of rejoicing surely one of the national writers said at the time that the misery of ireland touched even the heart of the turk at the far dardanelles and he sent her in pity the alms of a beggar 
it was true that from turkey as from most other countries had come some contribution toward the relief of irish distress at the same time there were some very foolish performances gone through in dublin under the sanction and patronage of the lord lieutenant the solemn inauguration as it would be called by a certain class of writers now of a public soup-kitchen devised and managed by the fashionable french cook m soyer for the purpose of showing the irish people what remarkably sustaining potage might be made out of the thinnest and cheapest materials this exposition would have been well enough in a quiet and practical way but performed as a grand national ceremony of regeneration under the patronage of the viceroy and with accompaniment of brass bands and pageantry it had a remarkably foolish and even offensive aspect the performance was bitterly resented by many of the impatient young spirits of the national party in dublin meanwhile the misery went on deepening and broadening it was far too great to be effectually encountered by subscriptions however generous and the government meaning to do the best they could were practically at their wits end the starving peasants streamed into the nearest considerable town hoping for relief there and found too often that there the very sources of charity were dried up many very many thus disappointed merely lay down on the pavement and died there along the country roads one met everywhere groups of gaunt dim-eyed wretches clad in miserable old sacking and wandering aimlessly with some vague idea of finding food as the boy in the fable hoped to find the gold where the rainbow touched the earth many remained in their empty hovels and took death there when he came in some regions the country seemed unpeopled for miles a fervid national writer declared that the impression made on him by the aspect of the country then was that of one silent vast dissolution allowing for rhetoric there was not much exaggeration in the words certainly the ireland of tradition was dissolved in the operation of that famine the old system gave way utterly the landlordism of the days before the famine never revived in its former strength in its peculiar ways for the landlord class there came out of the famine the encumbered estates court for the small farmer and peasant class there floated up the american emigrant ship acts and even conspiracies of violence as we have said began to be not uncommon throughout the country and in the cities one peculiar symptom of the time was the glass-breaking mania that set in throughout the towns of the south and west it is perhaps not quite reasonable to call it a mania for it had melancholy method in it the workhouses were overcrowded and the authorities could not receive there or feed there one-fourth of the applicants who besieged them suddenly it seemed to occur to the minds of many of the famine's victims that there were the prisons for which one might qualify himself and to which after qualification he could not be denied admittance the idea was simple go into a town smash deliberately the windows of a shop and some days of a jail and of substantial food must follow the plan became a favourite especially was it adopted by young girls and women after a time the puzzled magistrates resolved to put an end to this device by refusing to inflict the punishment which these unfortunate creatures sought as a refuge and a comfort one early result of the famine and the general breakdown of property is too significant to be allowed to pass unnoticed 
some of the landlords had been living for a long time on a baseless system on a credit which the failure of the crops brought to a crushing test not a few of these were utterly broken they could maintain their houses and halls no longer and often were only too happy to let them to the poor law guardians to be used as extra workhouses in the near neighbourhood of many a distressed country town the great house of the local magnate thus became a receptacle for the pauperism which could not find a refuge in the overcrowded asylums which the poor law system had already provided the lion and the lizard says the persian poet keep the halls where the jamshid gloried and drank deep the pauper devoured his scanty dole of indian meal porridge in the hall where his landlord had gloried and drunk deep when the famine was over and its results came to be estimated it was found that ireland had lost about two millions of her population she had come down from eight millions to six this was the combined effect of starvation of the various diseases that followed in its path gleaning where it had failed to gather and of emigration long after all the direct effects of the failure of the potato had ceased the population still continued steadily to decrease the irish peasant had in fact had his eyes turned as mr bright afterwards expressed it toward the setting sun and for long years the stream of emigration westward never abated in its volume a new ireland began to grow up across the atlantic in every great city of the united states the irish element began to form a considerable constituent of the population from new york to san francisco from st paul minnesota to new orleans the irish accent is heard in every street and the irish voter comes to the polling booth ready far too heedlessly to vote for any politician who will tell him that america loves the green flag and hates the saxon terrible as the immediate effects of the famine were it is impossible for any friend of ireland to say that on the whole it did not bring much good with it it first applied the scourge which was to drive out of the land a thoroughly vicious and rotten system it first called the attention of english statesmen irresistibly to the fact that the system was bad to its heart's core and that nothing good could come of it it roused the attention of the humble irishman too often inclined to put up with everything in the lazy spirit of a neapolitan or a fatalist to the fact that there was for him too a world elsewhere the famine had indeed many a bloody afterbirth but it gave to the world a new ireland End of section thirty eight